Welcome to Gen X Movie Show, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, before I get started, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, if you're like me and you like wine, specifically red wines like Pinot and Cabernet, uh, Blanchard is the place for you. Um, you know, they have socially distanced tables at the dairy block. They've got uh, virtual wine tasting. So if you're like me and you don't really want to risk getting COVID, you can just have uh, virtual wine tastings. You can do all of that at bfwdenver.com. Go there, select your wines, do a virtual wine tasting, or just go in, grab yourself a bottle, as is what I have done a couple times. My favorite place to go in downtown Denver to get wine. Once again, they are located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple of blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. I'd also like to tell you about my friend, Andy Feinstein. Please support our friends at Exo Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant Rhino Arts District. Uh, Exo Event Center can host safe socially distanced events for up to 25 to 175 persons outdoors. Let me emphasize that, outdoors, and up to 100 persons indoors. If you are interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client uh, appreciation, birthday, or anniversary, or basically a morale-boosting happy hour, Exo would welcome the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit ExoEvents.com for more information and book your private event today. Okay, without further ado. Uh, on this new CSG podcast, I would uh, I would really really like to introduce you one uh, the host of two of the my favorite podcasts, uh, a man I discovered uh, about four or five months ago at the height of the pandemic, and I've been forever grateful that I've been able to listen to this. Uh, his name is Chris Johnston, who is the host of Spielberg Pod and Easy Riders Raging Podcast. Hello, Chris. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I am, well, spectacular. It's a bit smoky here in Colorado. Uh, we have a bunch mm -hmm. of wildfires in the western part of the United States. And Denver like, is in a valley, and all the smoke just kind of curls around and just backs up against us here. And uh, it's, uh, it's been an interesting time. <laughs> Not uh, just a big cloud of weed smoke over the No, well, the, the I mean, state. <laughs> that's perpetually there. <laughs> so, that's that's uh, the 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 fire smoke is starting to replace the weed smoke. It's like having a battle right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, just uh, to go into this, I mean, I I want the people to know uh, before we get into the movie which which we've selected today. Uh, I kind of want to like you to talk about your journey through uh, podcasting because you uh, run not only one but two. What kind of made you get into this and kind of tell us about your journey? Well, your first podcast is kind of a gateway podcast, you know, yeah. it kind of forms a habit, I guess. Um, yeah, um, I guess uh, uh, I studied film and so I have a big interest and a passion for film, but mm -hmm. I wasn't really using it in my day-to-day -day, uh, professional life. Yeah. Um, but me and my friends do just generally like to talk about films, as yeah. I'm sure many people do with their friends. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and basically just figured we could have a go at that. Why, why not? It's a very democratic medium that anyone um, we've, we've, you know, it doesn't even cost a lot of money or no. very technical equipment. Like my first podcast, I very started it recording just using an app on my phone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was just become something that I enjoy sitting down with my friends to talk about films. We basically just talk about one film at a time. And then we do a bunch of sort of amusing features at the end. For example, we recast the film with uh, current actors. We sort of imagine who would be playing, um, you know, the lead in To Kill a Mockingbird if it was yeah. being made today, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, and occasionally there's guests from other podcasts and from here, there and everywhere. But it's, it's, it's a chance for people who like films to just have a, an interesting discussion about sort of classic cinema, really. Well, it's, uh, it, I, I find it extremely entertaining, Uh I have listened to every one. Um, wow. I have every one. You've done a lot too. <laughs> we were talking before the, before the podcast started and I'm like, yeah, it's the, one of the side quote benefits. And I'm going to like, say that loosely of whatever's happened with this uh, lockdown is that I've had a lot of time on my hands and uh, I am doing my radio show from home so that 
all this has done is just allowed me to listen to a bunch of podcasts and I'm <laughs> so glad that I discovered yours. I, I really appreciate, I just, I appreciate the fact that there's like-minded people who are going through these podcasts. I, I, I appreciate it and you do them really well. And I encourage everyone, everyone to check out both Easy, Easy Riders Raging Podcasts and the sometimes posting uh, Spielberg pod, which I guess whenever he gets a new movie out there. <laughs> yeah, either that or, or we do sort of a bonus episode and something we'd like to, to sit down and tackle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, one, one of the side benefits, in fact, that I didn't, wasn't aware of, I guess, when I started podcasting is that, uh, at least here in London, there is quite a nice little uh, podcasting community, especially yeah. film podcasting community. Yeah. Um, so I've met some very nice people through yeah. the through doing the podcast, which is one of the things I didn't really think about going in because I was like, well, it's me and my friends talking about Spielberg films. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think of it outside of that. But uh, yeah, connecting with people in real life and over Twitter and you know, you film Twitter at large, it's it's been a especially over you know, over the last you know, six months where connecting with people in real life isn't hasn't been as easy as it once yeah. was, I guess. So. You're absolutely um, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lovely world of film podcasters out there. Oh, there is. And I, I, that's why I'm glad that I, I stumbled upon you guys because I, I and, and to tell a story, I just kind of like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to message Chris and see if you'll come on my podcast. And uh, I, I, I'm glad that I did because I, I, I uh, this is, for me, it's a privilege to uh, be able to talk to you about this. So uh, I appreciate you coming on because we're here to talk about. Um, a movie that uh, I have not seen for 24 years, but finally did see it again uh, this last week. And uh, it is a movie called Train Spotting, which was Chris's suggestion. And uh, boy, I had forgotten a ton about that movie, other than the toilet scene, which I'm sure we will get to. But <laughs> I had forgotten a lot about that movie. Was that kind of your uh, reaction to it? Although I, I take it you've probably seen it more recently than I have. I have. It's not like an everyday kind of films, but I but I have definitely seen it sort of periodically over the years. You know, sort mm-hmm. of. Um, so I probably saw it about two years ago, I think. Last, um, mm-hmm. it's one of those films I tend to just forget about, and then then what, if it comes up somehow, or I see a clip on something, and I'll, I'll suddenly go, oh. I really want to revisit that because yeah. um, I'll just see like a clip of them sprinting down, uh, I guess like Edinburgh High Street and stuff, and it'll make me think, "Oh, that's oh, I need to I need to revisit that really far." It'll give me the the vibes, you know, yeah. the spirit will capture me. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I forget, and this is something that I I, uh, I I kind of remind people who are from from the UK when I talk to them is. Uh, obviously differences in pronunciation and Amer- Americans tend to, because there's a city called Pittsburgh has the last four letters of Edinburgh and we pronounce it completely differently over here. So yeah, you hear a lot of uh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Edinburgh or Edinburgh. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just way beyond. I've, I've called it Edinburgh because I, you know, that's why I've always done it. But I, I just occurred to me that it's like, Oh God, it's like, just like four the four same letters and we pronounce them completely different um but we're going to be talking a lot about edinburgh today because this really this movie is edinburgh this is about uh based on a book and it really is about what was going on like early 90s early to mid 90s edinburgh is it set or is it more glasgow i can't remember where exactly it's set uh think uh, what the movie yeah i come i know some of it's set in, um in edinburgh because i know they have that allude uh allusion to the festival yeah but uh i think uh, um, uh they, they it's, there's a lot of it's kind of the squalor of what was uh, hmm. certain parts Is it leaf of, yeah i believe yeah and i and i uh well let me before before we get too deeply into it let me let me explore some of the uh I, in fact i kind of want to read this article here uh, at least this, the lead into this article here. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's mystery of the dubbed U.S. version of train spotting. Uh, the thick Edinburgh accents display in train spotting back in 1996, I cannot believe it's been that long, were t- uh, a bit too challenging for the American audience. And so it was said the stars of the movie were made to make a redubbed version of that that made the dialogue a bit more decipherable. Now, the interesting thing about this is, and this article came out when they did the sequel, T2, 
um, mm-hmm. which I, Judgment Day, yeah, yeah, to you too, yes. And I, I was thinking, other than expecting Arnold Schwarzenegger to appear in the movie, um, that there was a. People were saying to me, a lot of my English friends were saying like that's that they would see the movie and it would, the, the downloaded version was not what they heard when they saw the movie in theaters in, okay. in 1996. Mm-hmm. And I went, really? Because that's what I'm familiar with. This is, it's, you know, what my ears are familiar with. Well, you know how, uh, you know, this, this, specifically the opening bar scene where he tosses the glass over his shoulder, mm-hmm. how thick, thick the accent is there. That is the cutoff point, apparently, of when they, the, the dubbed part ends. They, they did the intro part. Of it, I guess the first 20 minutes of it was all dubbed in for the American version. I had, I had no clue. <laughs> well, because um, the accent of Renton isn't the most strongest amongst the no. characters. His is a relatively understandable accent from my mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. But others, other characters do, like a Spard or Begbie, have, do have thicker accents. Yeah. Uh, It'd be yeah. like it'd be like it would just describe someone uh, in the United States trying to just to understand someone in Cajun country down south, you know it's that that kind of thing. It's just it, it's very thick, very present. Mm-hmm. I I told uh, the person I was watching it with. I said I'm glad it has subtitles. Obviously, not to be a thick American, but at least I can you know I can understand it, and I don't want to you know misunderstand them. They go yeah, but uh, you know I think there's another version of this, and that's how I kind of stumbled on this article. I'm like wow. It was dubbed. Well, you know, look, it's, it is a, a remarkable, and I think we, maybe we could talk about this, uh, Chris, is that it's remarkable the cultural impact train spotting had uh, and the careers the movie launched mm. were uh, enormous. I, I was, I, looking back on it, I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. I recognize that guy. Other than Ewan McGregor and, of course, Danny Boyle, I was like, and the director, I'm like, I recognize that guy. Oh, holy shit, there's a guy within it. I completely forgot. And you just, I guess you just don't understand, uh, like, fully understand it until maybe, for me, 24 years later, how mm-hmm. much of an impact that one movie about heroin addicts and, and, and small crimes, or turns out to be bigger crimes, uh, turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess in some ways it's kind of the UK's answer to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I guess it's, it's, a, it's, it's quite a clear point of comparison because they were uh, both, both very successful films which kind of found a place that that kind of only really existed in the 90s. I mean, Pulp Fiction was, to some degree, the most important film of the 90s. Yeah. And you can't really imagine the film being made after the 90s or before the 90s. It's very much of its time mm-hmm. and i guess in in its own way so was train spotting because it's kind of like a crime meets social realism meets black comedy meets surrealism it's a very special beast yeah um and yeah i was, I was reflecting i was 13 when it came out so i did not see this in the cinema yeah. um i i don't think i saw it in full till i was probably about 16 or so mm-hmm. uh I remember seeing some of it in science class when I was 15 really? uh, and the teacher, cause somebody brought it in and we were watching it and they stopped the tape just as Kelly McDonald was about to take her clothes off. Because <laughs> <laughs> the teacher obviously knew the film and the teacher obviously was like, well, I'm fine with heroin, but nudity. Uh, I think the, the teacher took a very American approach to what was acceptable. Yes. Violence, nudity, yeah. uh, violence, drugs, fine. Nudity, not so much, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, but that, science class. I, <laughs> well, it was, it was one of those lessons where it was like a like an off lesson. Yeah. In that we had we had lots of chops and change in our science teachers because our main one just didn't. He just stopped coming, and we kept getting a variety of supply teachers. So it was kind of became a bit of a dos, if I'm honest. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what happened to the science teacher. There were rumors and jokes, but. <laughs> It's not the folks. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. So that's why one lesson we just sat and watched train spotting. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> it was acceptable in the nineties, as they yes, say. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I do remember the film just being everywhere in the time because you had yes. like the iconic lineup poster, 
you had an alternate version of the lineup poster you would also see mm. you see the choose life uh text poster yeah uh, there were many soundtracks and you'd hear born slippy everywhere lust for life the film even though like i like i said i didn't see it until i was probably about 15 or 16 yeah on its release it had a huge imagery um in a way which you rarely see outside of blockbusters mm-hmm. you know it was it was it was a moment at a time when the country was having a moment and it kind of went hand in hand as being part of i guess the core britannia scene and being influenced by that and being part of it at the same time um because not only did we suddenly had we we had a sort of exciting film industry which mm-hmm. is kind of unheard of over here and but we also had you know the the, the coolest music in the world it was a very odd because because britain was suddenly cool yes and we're never cool never cool <laughs> it's never um you know it was it's tea it's rain it's the queen going hello you know it's not it's, it's not a cool country um um mm. But suddenly there was a there was a brief window. I guess uh, you know we got our version of grunge, yeah, kind of, yeah. They're, well, they're, they're kind of hand in hand. Well, yeah, I was just going to tell you that as uh, Amer- uh, from the American side, and then uh, after I go in this little rant, I'll uh, I'll go into a little bit of the details of the movie. We if this is the movie that made Ewan McGregor a star. And now if you could think of any movie on the planet that was like, this guy's going to be a star, how <laughs> would it be train spotting a movie which he climbs through a toilet? Now, I, I, I remember vividly this movie coming out and there was this huge buzz around it. The movie only made about $17 million mm-hmm. in the United States, which even in the mid-90s wasn't that much. But... It was only limited, and I do mean limited release. It created well, what's the much... certificate because it wouldn't be yeah. like, and would it be an R over there? Yeah, it was, it was an R. Which is what uh, you got to be over seventeen, I think. Yeah. Is that the that works? Yeah, parental which is the same here. Yeah, but you get the the sense that in America that's kind of the kiss of death, whereas over here, back in the day, you used to release quite a lot of eighteens. Um, well, it was a different kind because uh, two years before, oh, wait, one year before this movie came out, uh, Heat came out mm-hmm. and it was uh rated r and it was huge it was really huge and well, everyone think, likes sandy bullock so why yeah, not exactly <laughs> there is a there is a uh kind of like there was the tide was turning and then all these mm-hmm. action movies starts coming out that were a little bit more edgy uh and then of course then you got the you know of course the the jerry bruckheimer you know sure. bs was coming out at that time so it was kind of like that is where America was, but the cultural impact on America was significant because it got Ewan McGregor to do Star Wars. Mm. Essentially, this is the movie that got him into Star Wars, and which is strange, but the, the impact was significantly, obviously, less than British cultural impact. I think two years before Pulp Fiction probably had a much greater cultural influence in the states mm-hmm. uh, but as you said before it looks like this movie was uh, the uk's version of pulp fiction yeah most i mean pulp fiction was huge over here yeah and probably if you were looking back on sort of the mid to late 90s early noughties the two iconic posters you'd see in uh, you know maybe like um uh, colleges and universities you would see the pulp fiction poster i believe mm-hmm. i had that at university and you'd see one of the train spotting posters they were um you know very much of a piece um like think uh, that i think pulp fiction spawned a lot of these movies like, oh pulp fiction spawned many <laughs> many films like like uh, there's a movie called things to do in denver when you're dead i believe i rented that yep yeah. <laughs> and which I rented only because, of that, you know, I'm from Denver and I just, I just, that is, it's my city. So I'm like, okay, let me see what they do. Most of it was not filmed in the city, but then I was like, okay, it's, it's, it's a, it's a rip, complete rip off of sure. Pulp Fiction, you know, and, and, but that's what you had during that time. Train spotting to me is different. Train spotting is much, I mean, much more substantive than that. But it, but it did also have its imitators. Yes. Uh, things like, um, uh, human traffic or twin yeah. town like pulp fiction it had 
things that wanted to think films that aspired to be that. Mm. Well, I can't think of train spotty and what it spawned without thinking of Guy Ritchie films that came out after that, like snatch. True. Yeah. Yeah. Very much in the lineage. Yeah. Um, with, uh, with the hot soundtracks and the, but Guy Ritchie had the, you know, quick cuts and all that stuff. And, the, mm. and the, uh, the, well, jump cuts and the way he edited was a little different or had his films edited, but there was a, it was a different kind of feel with train spotting and it made a lot of uh, aspects of UK culture at the time. Uh, it brought it into, however briefly, it brought it into American. And it, and actually, when you think about the time, this is the time, the very brief time Britpop was uh, mm. popular in the States too. Uh, yeah, it yeah, was, I remember. It was like yeah. a two-year period where it was and then, it, and then it died out out here. Obviously, it had a much bigger legacy there. So it was like mid-90s. People were loving that sort of thing mm. out here at least. But that's a, we, we were suddenly... <laughs> on even like say for a brief minute on the global stage in a way which the country really hadn't been since yeah. uh <laughs> the decline of the empire and it seemed like it wasn't really possible like the country had been through some harsh years as, as many places had been um but suddenly here we were just full of energy full of swagger in, in a way which really for such a small country who had seen better days um but uh, there is things like you say, uh, our hero in this film is this guy's pale. He's got a shaved head. He's a drug addict. Those aren't qualities you would instantly, um, you know, assign to a, a film, a film's hero, yeah. even like Pulp Fiction. Like I say, he's, he's a drug addict, but he's, he's much more of a, a, a conventionally cool guy, yeah. <laughs> even with yeah. his weird sort of ponytail. But, <laughs> um, but, and yet, you know, there are things in this film, they shouldn't be cool. Yeah. But this film just does have a certain swagger. It kind of just exudes kind of uh, assurity. Well, specifically, specifically, and let me, let me uh, give a couple details and then I'll get into some uh, specifics. Um, the movie came out uh, in February 1996. Uh, I was mm-hmm. 18 years old. Uh, and... It had, it was released uh, at the Cannes Film Festival first, got a big, big, enormous reaction there. And then that kind of led into British cinema where it blew up. Well, uh, uh, it did well, well enough for it to transfer to limited release in the States. And then it mm-hmm. kind of bounced back to the UK. Uh, I saw an interview with uh, a uh, producer talking about it and they're like, is the phenomenon of this movie was that it it became kind of transatlantic, but that kind of bounce back to the UK exploded it even more. And the movie mm-hmm. made seventy two million, which for a movie that would only cost one point five, uh, that is huge. It's not bad business. <laughs> no, it is not. No, it is not. It's like Halloween or something like that. You know, mm. those big. You know, it was essentially an independent movie. And it made a star out of uh, uh, Ewan McGregor. I mean, without a doubt. Ewan McGregor. In a way which, at that point, we didn't really have a lot of British stars. Yeah. I mean, now you get a lot more British actors doing hard. But he was a legit movie star. Yes. And he was he was homegrown. Is this pre-Jude like Law? Is this pre... I'm trying to think. I would say slightly. I'm trying to think where he sort of popped, but... It's probably a couple of years. Yeah, I think it is. Jude Law's ascension, yeah, yeah. as it were. Because he's the other one, big one of the late, at least the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you kind of go went from there. But uh, And then it also made uh, a career, I would say, and uh, obviously allowed him to do other things. Uh, uh, Danny Boyle, the director, mm. um, he is a very unique director. I, I like his style. And you really get to see a lot of it in this movie for someone who hadn't really leapt onto the scene by this point. Uh, you see a lot of his style in this movie. And, uh, and I see a lot of it transferred into Slumdog Millionaire years later. Mm-hmm. And I can see the relationship between those two movies, to be honest with you. I know it's kind of a leap, but I see the relationship between those two movies. And, and I think uh, Danny, Danny Boyle has certain style 
that really appeals visually at least yeah he makes very dynamic films which look great and uh capture attention really if nothing else you know they they very infrequently tend to be boring films you know there's a kind of a scorsese energy to them Mm -hmm. um even though that they may not be about like gangsters and stuff which you go oh ex- i expect crime to have an energy to it you know that's yeah. Yeah. but he'll make a yeah that one's about you know uh, a kid going on a game show slash poverty in india yes. you know it's yes. um but it still has the kind of you know the pace of goodfellas to it so it does and it, and it, and uh, i think there's the social commentary of what was going on at the time uh mm-hmm. And, you know, this movie, Train Spotting, is really about trying to get out of heroin addiction if you really want to boil it down. Sure, it's, yeah. It's, um, the addiction is the core of the film. Yeah. Mm. It is really trying that. And it's interesting, and I, I said this before, how big a cultural impact this movie had, considering the weighty subject of it. There was in the, late, in the, in the mid-90s a movie called When a Man Loves a Woman, it was uh, Andy by, Garcia. Yeah, co-written by Al mm-hmm. Franken, and it was a movie about alcoholism, and mm-hmm. m- movies about substance abuse as a main subject of it tend to not do very well. Because my theory is people don't like the the mark micro- the uh, microphone the magnifying glass pointed back sure. at them, and uh, addiction is imminently relatable. But somehow this movie about heroin and heroin addicts becomes this cultural phenomenon. And the only thing I could think, Chris, on this was that it was because it, the soundtrack made it more palatable. Well, I guess it's the, the, I think the key is that it captures the highs and the lows, which I yeah. guess you wouldn't normally see in an addiction based film. Like I remember what's the, um, the Nick Cage one, uh, where he's um, on, leaving, a, on a bender in leaving, yeah, Las Vegas. leaving Las Vegas, yeah. And that one, I just remember being relentless misery. Yeah, oh God. Um, which, which is the point. I'm not going dis- to. I, I remember being a good film, so I'm not criticizing it. Yeah. But this film tries to capture the highs and lows of uh, the heroin addiction. I guess you know, energy and sadness and death and, um, yeah. And and it, in some ways, I was thinking it is in many ways quintessentially british yeah. in that there's toilet humor yeah. uh the sort of anti-establishment factor is something which i guess is kind of british and it's quirky as well which i think we, we generally have a quirk to us as a, yeah. as a nation but at the same time it's not british at all in that it's very frank with its use of sex and nudity drugs and hiv and yeah. that's not to me that doesn't seem very british because we kind of will avoid the point you know we're uh, conservative with a little C and unfortunately more often than not a big C. Um, but yeah, yeah. you know, that's what I mean. It's kind of traditional, but not traditional at all. This film, like, uh, I hear in my notes, I described it as Tarantino meets Mike Lee. If they were doing a kind of cover version of Clockwork Orange, um, you know, it's, it's a, that's a good description. That's a really, I, I, I that's a good way of thinking about it actually. Because, well, Clockwork Orange yeah. is clearly one of the influences in the film. They even nod yeah, to it in much. the... Yeah. But, but Clockwork Orange and Taxi Driver, which it wears its influence on, on its sleeve for both of those in that well, club because yeah. the art's just all over the place. Just go, look, we, we, look what we're homaging. I, uh, uh, Clockwork uh, Orange is the, you know, Taxi Driver is making a, uh, you know, Scorsese's making a... Or and Paul Schrader, actually more primarily Paul Schrader, the screenwriter, mm-hmm. making a uh, an example of the what basically vigilantism would resort to, and how it can uh, make uh, like someone as 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 despicable as Travis Bickle into a virtuous guy just because he wants to save this this one. Mm-hmm. underage prostitute you know and it, and it, it is it's a weird dichotomy that you could only get in the 70s at that time I exactly mean, I, yeah i don't think you could get anywhere else but that, that's a tangent for another time um i i was just uh looking at the uh the cast here and robert carlisle probably to me gives he's the best terrifying in this he's film. terrifying terrifying 
And if you've ever seen Hamish Macbeth, you would think, how did, how does this guy from this quirky Scottish show about a guy who just has a, loves his dog and has a, has a weird name to <laughs> the guy who will shiv people for no reason, basically. And how do you get there? But his performance is literally terrifying. Absolutely. Oh, yes. terrifying. It's one of, one of the most terrifying performances on screen, including like horror films and stuff. He is possibly more scarier than Michael Myers or than, uh, I don't know, Reagan from the exorcist. Cause, cause you understand that he's very human yes. you know he's just the worst aspect you know he's so you know like he feels like somebody you maybe not over there but feels like somebody that i could have the misfortune of bumping into in the street you know the kind of <laughs> yes, he is um everything wrong with the world it's amazing how uh they they i like how they set up his character in it how it's just a contradiction between two stories that are told one mm-hmm. by Begbie, uh, and the other one, uh, who was the one telling that story? Uh, the other one, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, the guy who's lifting weights. Uh, um, is that um, Tommy? Tommy, that's right. And uh, the difference of the versions and the Begbie's version was very benign. <laughs> and Tommy's version was like, no, he just randomly beat this person up at the bar for no reason. And you're but like, it, it, eh. it, it's the kind of thing which does remind me that there are, you know, when in alcohol uh, in, in pubs and stuff there is always an element that things could go like i remember being in a pub in bristol where some old man told me i spilt his drink and he and we're watching a gig and he kept making the point to me and i was like no i didn't and he was an old man and nothing happened but you're yeah. just aware that things sometimes in the wrong place do go the wrong way you yes. know from nothing because you see that guy at the end like who he, he attacks over spilling his pint spilling somebody's pint and getting in a disagree with them isn't I mean, now it's uncommon because everyone's indoors, but it's not an uncommon situation. And unfortunately, this terrifying figure of Begbie probably isn't as uncommon as you would like to be. He's somebody with a real psychopathic tendency, a real darkness, uh, not through addiction, just through, he's just a proper Roman. No, oh, he's, he's literally psychotic. And it, it is one of those, one of those performances. And it like, and Carlisle has like gone on to a career here in the States. He was mm-hmm. on this show called Once Upon a Time for eight years or something like that. This is a, a, a long time. People in the United States know him as Rumpelstiltskin, okay? Mm. <laughs> because of that. And he was, he was a Bond villain as well. That's what Bond I remember villain. from as yep. well. And yeah. he just has gone on, but he's a tremendous actor. And actually, that's kind of a segue into this this part of it. The acting in this entire movie is just spectacular how they mm. captured each of these cases um particularly particularly um uh spud <laughs> you and bremner yes yeah because that point where he takes the speed and then goes to the job interview was like mm. you know if you've ever known people who are addicted to certain things or on certain substances you let see that and you go that is the that is 100%. That, that's how they talk. That is exactly the, the manicness of it and all that. And how he captured that was just absolutely perfect. I, I, I turned to the person I was watching with and I said, like, that's, that's great acting right there. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, he's the, the, everyone's superb in it. And I think from, from my perspective, I think when I first watched it, I don't know if I'd seen any of them in anything. Um, and yet, in the years that have, that have come after the film, I've seen them countless times. Yeah. And even when they show up, like, yeah, you and Breg, yeah, um, you and Bremner shows up in Wonder Woman, in my head, I go, oh, there's Spud. <laughs> Just because <laughs> they, they had such an impact from me. Like, even if, um, what's the face, Robert Carlyle's in Full Monty, where he's playing yeah. like a, a solid sort of a down his luck steel worker, mm-hmm. I'm still a little scared because. <laughs> That's big so, He's so effective. And I know what he can do. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it's um he's gonna whip out a knife. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something about when you first see people in a role and they you kind of assume they are that role, even though that's ridiculous. Yeah. But if they convince you and that's the first thing you see them in, you're like, oh right. Um like if I saw Robert Carlo in the street, I would be scared. You know, and Johnny Johnny Lee Miller, uh he ends up out here in the States and does a show called Elementary. 
and I believe hmm. he is now a U.S. citizen, which is which uh, I wasn't expecting, but he is unrecognizable in this role from <laughs> where he is in elementary to back then. And I, I remember watching uh, this last week when I saw Train Spotty. I'm watching it. I'm going, boy, there's a, there's, he's familiar. He's got the blonde hair and all that stuff. Who, who is this guy? Oh, is this the guy from that crappy CBS show? <laughs> so, but all of these guys, and I, I'm kind of beating a dead horse, but all of these guys, like, sprung you know got this big movie uh, from this not from this big movie but they got sprung kind of a springboard from this big this movie mm. about heroin and it, it is such a phenomenon that i don't know if you you couldn't repeat this now just this is no way I, I i don't think you could get an example of a of a movie with that such a dark subject matter springboarding this many people well i guess if you were making a film today about Drug addiction, not necessarily heroin addicts, but yeah. let's say heroin addicts. Yeah. It would probably be um, taking more of a kind of Oscar Beatty type of route. Yeah, it would yeah. be super serious, and it would be about show. You, there'd be like um, like very famous people losing a lot of weight to to do the the Christian Bale stick thing, stick yes. thin thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas this this has no aspirations to be that kind of film. This is, um, <laughs> like, it's almost like they were just making a really cool album. You know, what I mean, it's 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 got the pace of you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, and it only to satisfy them, which is I think yeah. is the important thing, right? Any good art is only made to satisfy uh, the person who's making it. You know, but there's stuff to it. Like I, I did think that because I was thinking about yeah, Renton's the main character. He's yeah. a guy who's getting clean so he's, he's been sick for a long time and he's, he's trying to get healthier mm-hmm. and this film did come out a year before uh labor got into power and um you know the, the tories had been in power in the uk for over uh for almost 20 years yeah. and the country had suffered a lot because of it you went through all the miners strike and all the unrest and it's almost like he is the country getting clean you know oh. and it's a struggle to get clean yeah. But then I, I will admit I do have a left wing bias, so oh, okay. people can judge that you're, as they as they like. You're not going to get any argument from me, okay? So, um, they, but, but but it's weird, it's weird though because this yeah. this time is is a time of genuine national pride in a way that you could be proud of the country. The mm-hmm. country was on its uppers, and especially when you look at that now, and it seems mm-hmm. like an alien concept, as I'm sure for many many Americans, yeah. <laughs> if they look to their country now, it's not the country's best time let's no, say no, no, and no. and the same 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 for over here yeah. but you, you're reflecting on time when you go wow it was it was good to be british it was, it was genuinely good it wasn't just for racists you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know I, I, I at the end of the podcast i, I was going to surprise you with this but you and i are going to delve into how maybe the the maybe the times of of now can springboard into something different because it's a time mm-hmm. of change. Uh, we had yep. a, yesterday was a bad moment for the United States and uh, it, it's made me very fearful, but we will get into that in a second. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see, Kevin, uh, what's his name? I want to talk about Kevin him. McDonald. No, Kevin McKidd. Ah, uh, yes. Kevin McKidd. The only, I think the Americans you will know him from if you saw the movie dog soldiers. Uh, was he in that? He was in. The, he was the main, he was <laughs> yeah. the main guy. And I uh, thought the main guy was Sean Pertwee, but then maybe that's just because I knew him from other stuff. <laughs> Sean Pertwee, son of uh, John Pertwee. Um, mm. I uh, and I, I, it's like he's the one guy that didn't get the the big thing like internationally, um, which is strange because he's he's the best looking guy out of all of them, at least in my opinion. But um, there is a there is a kind of like this it's i want to talk to like about from this 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 nexus point of what have of this movie reflecting the culture at the time and mm-hmm. you're talking about let's say it was john i think this is probably the last year of john major being prime minister yep uh, boring and, john major as he's remembered yes, yes. 
And uh, I remember Believe him- me, I'd take boring right now. I'd really take boring. <laughs> I remember him. Uh, they had his picture on a uh, U2 single uh, called Please. It was John Major <laughs> and the head of the Irish Republican uh, Army. Anyway, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's where we you know, think of these sure. things. And then we think about uh, at this point, I think, was it right around 96 where uh, the, UK, uh, the, the UK joined the European Union? Um, well, it's, when, it's around the time they got Formed the closer to, the, yeah, because yeah. they, they'd already been in, in, a, in a partnership in, in, from like the 70s, I believe. But yeah. Things did change around this time, yes, and it became a much closer union. Yeah, and I'm not sure of the specifics, um, but yeah, that's the, the gist. Yes, <laughs> you you weren't you weren't prepared for a uh, history lesson. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, 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 the one thing I had in my notes is that yeah. back in the 90s, the question wasn't leave or remain; it was blur or oasis. That was the question of the time. Yes, it was. So it was simpler times. Blur <laughs> <laughs> oasis. I'll tell you, you know, thinking about the times. Dealing with HIV in this movie, mm-hmm. um, even by '96, dealing with HIV in a mature, sure, or even tragic fashion mm-hmm. uh, was taboo. It really was, and it really—it's one of the one of those things that people don't want to talk about. Yeah, and so, and the way they under. then the way they dealt with it in this movie was frank. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was a consequence that wasn't um, men having sex with men, which is what mm-hmm. the sig, sig, you know the stigma was at the time. Sure. And this became this the way the movie dealt with it. In my view, was a way of opening people's eyes to maybe this this disease affects everyone, which people didn't mm-hmm. want to face. As someone who was sure. 18 and almost 20 at the time, I could tell you mm-hmm. people did not want to face that at the time. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they did a good job of making it very frank. Danny Boyle, give him credit. That was very effective way of portraying HIV and uh, making it relatable in a sense mm-hmm. that it, it's not just a certain subset of people that get it. It, everyone sure. can get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't dwell on it as much as no. some films I've seen. Because uh, I guess you, you only really see... It's this Tommy that gets HIV. Yes. I, he, I think he's the only character. And you you don't really see a lot of him while he's unwell. Yeah. Uh, but it's the impact is certainly felt. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it, it's not like... Uh, um, you know, seeing Freddie Mercury die basically mm-hmm. with each subsequent picture that you saw of him. Um, it was a, uh, just a, I think it was more of a reflection of this guy's a straight guy who mm-hmm. just shared needles. Right. Yeah. And Renton's panic when he's getting tested and mm-hmm. yeah, he comes back negative. All that stuff right there is just part of the ovura of it. And I think I think that they did it uh, it just in in whatever limited capacity they could in the 90s. I thought they dealt dealt with it in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So certainly. Um, we kind of are at uh, you know with Train Spotting a a a movie that as I was saying reflectant of the time. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to go over this because uh, anyone who listens to your podcast knows that you guys uh, you specifically they they try, they try to they try to stop you from <laughs> going off about Brexit. So <laughs> um, as, as someone who is reflecting on the time and you and I, you and I agree with a, a lot of politics, let me just put you that way. Um, how do you think that movies can, like train spotting, could reflect now? Because this is, this is like... How can a mirror be poked, uh, be be put to us, and how can a movie reflect the time and make it palatable to be to where people won't want to turn away from the the consequences of the last four years or so on? Well, I guess you've got the thing whereby 
you've got two approaches i guess you could do films which literally are about the events of history yeah and that you kind of need to have a gap you can't make like like i know they're making a show about donald trump with uh what's the name uh brendan gleason yeah or a show or something about him i've seen a picture yeah but really you think if you want to make a film about his presidency and his rise and his many things he's done in power yeah. then realistically i feel like you need to wait to be able to look back on that yeah yeah um much as i imagine uh the chaos of uk political history over the last couple of years realistically i would say you wait a few years to put some distance and then if you want to directly um cover that stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but on the other hand you can like i think they did in train spotting capture the feel of the time and the mood yeah. without necessarily capturing what's politically or socially well i guess it's socially happening is key but in terms of them them capturing the change in the country they're not it's more about the um, the tone of the film the feel yeah so in some ways i felt like dunkirk was a film that was about uh britain today mm -hmm. and it's not directly yeah. covering britain today but i feel like it captured the the i mean we're not at war no. despite how it often feels but it felt, it felt like it captured some of the um the state of the country at, in current times well, yeah. kind of um and so it, again it's not covering the current history it's nothing detail it's not to do with you know um Preeti patel and uh rob and the like mm -hmm. but it does capture something about modern britain through this world war two film yeah um because there was one thing I found interesting because I was reflecting on the film mm -hmm. and then they made the sequel, obviously, T2. Judgment Day. And I remember watching that. I was really disappointed by Renton because at yeah. the end of the film, you have so much hope for him, even though he's a relatively an awful person in some respects. He's not Begbie awful. He's not no. sick boy awful. No. But he's not a nice guy by any stretch. Like, you feel bad that Tommy gets sick because you go, he didn't use heroin that much. And Renton did, and we also see him steal. Uh, he's a he's a genuinely not a nice guy. Yeah. But he gets out at the end, and she go, "Wow, there's there's some hope for anyone." And then when you come into T two, he gets so quickly drawn back into this nasty little world, and you go like, "You," I was watching it feeling like you let me down. <laughs> um, in a way which I was thinking about later, thinking, "Well, that really says more about." me reflecting on myself over the years or my country over the years. You go, yeah. you let me down. You were supposed to do better than this, Renton. Yeah. And then you go, what, what, what does that say about, uh, you know, he's living in Amsterdam. It's the best city in the world. You know, it's, uh, no, he's back to Scotland and he's back with um, some of the darkest souls known to mankind. Well, you um, know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's also a reflection on friends um and and relationships and maybe mm -hmm. maybe not uh maybe not i guess uh, friends specific wouldn't necessarily be the uh descriptor on that but having people that you are in deep with for a very long time sure. and having struggling to get out of the mindset you are when you are with them you know because mm -hmm. if you go back and if i mean chris if you went back to you know where you grew up and you saw a bunch mm -hmm. of people that were your friends I'm sure part of your, your, your brain would be like, I'm, I'm back where I was. I remember all these things with the, the, you know, the feelings and the memories come up and it's like, it, you just start falling into the rhythm depending how long you've been away. Uh, well, but away tomorrow I'm going to meet my friends who I went to school with meeting three of my friends oh, really? who I've known for, um, <laughs> you know, 25 to 30 years, depending on which one um, they're friends from um, back in the day. Yeah. It and you did, like I say, it's 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 the old rhythms and old memories and stuff which aren't necessarily apparent in your your day to day life. Well, it's a, um, if you especially if you run a, get away from it, you know, mm -hmm. and if you're away yeah. and you specifically get away from that, I can see why a lot of uh, a lot of addicts would make a clean break from everything. Um, mm -hmm. I have a friend who uh, is a very extremely talented artist who's made a 
45, 50 year career out of painting Native American portraits. Um, and he constantly goes to Al-Anon meetings and, and uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous mm -hmm. because he chooses to be in the same place he always was. And he always told me if I left, it would be a lot easier for me, but I choose to stay here. So he needs mm -hmm. the constant reminders that he can't slip back into it. And I'm wondering if addicts, I mean, this is a social commentary on my part, I apologize, but I'm wondering if addicts kind of have that same thing where it's like immediately, if you go back into it, it's hard not to get sucked back into your old frame of mind, you know? Mm -hmm. So just I, pause I one second. I'm just going to let my cat, I'm just going to put the door. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but we're talking about, you know, the times and I think the best movies are ones that uh, aren't necessarily so direct, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, the movies that aren't, uh, you know, so like uh, one of the movies that I, uh, I, I mean, initially sent to Chris uh, as a choice was the Parallax View. And that is a very blatant para, uh, paranoid Watergate thing. It is so, it is very much, this is about Watergate and it's telling you, sure. this is about, mm. uh, you know, and Pacula had, uh, Alan Pacula's directed much better films than Parallax View, but it's a very obvious we film. You know? Yeah. And that was part of his, um, a, a trilogy he made, wasn't it? I believe. Yeah, it was. Uh, I forget, but it was always, maybe it was, it was even his paranoia trilogy, I forget. But It was, and uh, uh, there was the movie that uh, got uh, Robert Evans essentially canned from his heading the studio thing because he did Chinatown. And mm -hmm. Pat Pacula and uh, Warren Beatty complained that, uh, that uh, Evans got to produce Chinatown, which was... Uh, a movie that was was destined to clean up at the Academy Awards, <laughs> so got the axe. Anyway, yeah, uh, it is. It, but it's it's the movies. I digress. I should say, um, movies are that are more creative and 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 I, so much like Pulp Fiction was a reflection of the United States in 1994. It really was. Well, I guess it's it's kind of. Um... It's, it's not necessarily lumped in with the sort of Gen X movies, but I guess it is kind of late Gen X. Yeah, it is, it is very much a, you know, the 90s, I, I'm, I'm looking back on the 90s, and you remember that decade. I'm looking back I do, on the yeah. 90s, I'm, I'm looking back on the 90s and thinking, how, how did I feel at that time? How did I feel in 1996 when Trainspotty came out? Because me and my group of friends were one of the only, few, only people who had actually seen Trainspotty. And it, it made us different and it made us unique to the people around us that we had seen this mm -hmm. movie and we enjoyed the fuck out of that. Just, I'll just put, put it to you that way. We enjoyed that. And I think, mm. have you, and, and did you ever have a movie like that where it was like no one else, I mean, not in a hipster sort of way, but a, that no one else had seen, but you and your friends kind of all, you know, in a, in, in a group sent enjoyed? Uh, I felt like, I mean, we weren't the first people to discover this by any means, but when uh, my friends and I discovered Spinal Tap, oh, we yeah. felt like we were the only people that had discovered this film <laughs> and, you know, embraced it to our, our bosoms. I guess. you know, like that was a film we watched endlessly and quoted endlessly. I mean, I've done that with many films, but that was special because it felt like, where's this come from kind of feel. <laughs> and, and like I said, the film was probably at least a decade old at the point we we had it yeah. but it felt like ours which i guess is something which i always or, or stuff like when i watched the Ke watched uh, kevin smith films they felt like yeah. they were mine yeah like they they weren't the films which everyone was watching at the cinema they were kind of yeah mine and well, they yeah yeah particularly clerks and and mm. uh, those early kevin smith movies were very much undergroundy uh, but sure, yeah, this yeah. is Spinal Tap. Look, is amazing movies are amazing movies. Some movies just hit it out of the park, and this is Spinal mm -hmm. Tap is just is cross generationally, even with the bad British accents and the you know the the. the, the <laughs> I, I don't think their British accents are that bad, actually. Oh, really? I think they're I think they're some of the better. Um, yeah, I, I do. I, I'd, I'd give them mad props. Oh wow, interesting. Okay. Mm. Um, I, I, it, it, with, with that anyway, and train spotting is kind of one of those things for me. It's like, 
this is our thing. This is kind of like uh, we enjoyed it, and that's why. Even though mm -hmm. you know, if I showed it to my my dad, he would say, "What the fuck are you watching?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't why well, this guy's climbing through a toilet, which by the way is in the advertising for this uh, movie uh, train spotty when it came out in 96, the toilet mm -hmm. scene was the, like the end of it was part of it. It's like, why, why well, it's, it's become it? iconic. It's, it's so iconic. It's like, but why use that scene? That's like, if you want to get, you want to get casual people in there. I mean, I enjoy it, but if you want to get casual people in there, use something else, you know, but I guess I guess it's just weird and people are going, what, what's going on with the toilet? Why would somebody be crawling out of a toilet? Yeah. And even when you watch the film, you can't you don't really have an answer because it's kind of like a fantasy sequence, really. And even when I was rewatching this earlier this week for, for your conversation, because you go, oh, it's a fantasy sequence, but then they sort of play with you because he's still wet when he gets to his flat. And you go, so what did actually happen? <laughs> Much as for a long time with this film... A line in the film really stuck with me is the conversation he has with his drug dealer about the suppository. And he says, yeah, for all the good they've done, I might as well have stuck them up my ass." And for years I was thinking, but you do. You, you do. <laughs> it's just a very, I think it's just a very specific form of wit that for a long time he's gone like, it's delivered in a very, very odd way. It just, it's just all stuck with, with me. You know, like, that's a weird joke. <laughs> well, well, he has to could, could reach through the toilet because they were in the toilet. I mean, it's like, you, I just, oh my God. That is a, it's, it's a great, surreal, disgusting scene. It, you know, it, but it's well acted by Ewan McGregor because like literally that's what I would be doing if in that situation. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's just, it, it's one of those, it's powerful to me. And, and a lot of, it, and, and I'll kind of wrap up with this, you know, the best movies bring up memories. The best movies bring up where you were at the time. You know, it it, mm -hmm. it kind of makes you understand. Science class, obviously. It, <laughs> um, I and 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 this movie I can't think of. And I, I I do a, also a segment on podcast called Gen X Music Show, and it's the same thing with music. If you can mm. hear something and it immediately transports you back to where you were when you first heard it, or the impact that yeah. it had on you. Uh, that's the sign of a of good music, and it's also the sign of a good movie. And uh, I cannot see Train Spotting without being transported back to when I was eighteen years old. And, and I guess it, Eddie, because it's iconic soundtrack helps because the music oh, yeah. is key. Oh, it's to, so good too. You know, um, the music's yeah. so good in that movie. Uh, they, they did. Danny Boyle did a great job of incorporating the, the the soundtrack into it, and that's that's something that I think Martin Scorsese understands. But of course, mm -hmm. no, certainly, yeah. And, you know, mm. even though he's used Gimme Shelter about 8,000 times in his movies, he still, you know, <laughs> he's, he still understands. But, you know, even though he's a Rolling Stones fan, we get it. We get it, Marty. <laughs> we, we get it. We also know you like you and Robbie Robertson are like big buds. But yep. um, there is just a moment where you're like, this is where I am. And, and then when you watch this movie recently where you're like, okay, science class, what did it immediately transport you back to science class? Well, there's just it's something about the energy, just like from that opening shot, them running. Mm -hmm. And I do think running is something I really appreciate in films, yeah. much as I appreciate sort of uh, a good martial arts film or a good dance sequence. Yeah. There's something really impressive about physical uh, display of physicalness. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> there's, there's something about it, like it's, uh, it's, it's like it, there's no special effect required. They're just pegging it down the street, you know, and they're really giving it some. Um, oh, yeah. and so yeah um, but yeah but, but at the same time I do admit I don't remember exactly when the first time I watched this in full but I do remember it impressed from yeah. even though I only saw the first what 40 minutes or something like that in yeah in <laughs> science um, the the energy was something that was apparent from even that there was there was a pulse to this film yeah. um, that you, you couldn't yeah, you couldn't look away and it's nothing like a, a movie that encapsulates that sort of thing. And I, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up uh, because I, I just I, I didn't even think about it. I hadn't thought about the movie for years. I had not even thought about Train Spotting. I mean, I've seen Ewan McGregor many times, and I've completely forgotten he was in it. And then you said Train Spotting. I'm like, oh yeah, that movie with Ewan McGregor, and he looks exactly like my friend Clint. I'm like, oh shit, I better watch this I thing again. I even saw Danny Boy in the Flesh years ago. 
I saw oh, him on really? the tube. Um, it was when he was doing the, uh, what was it, 2012 Olympic ceremony. I saw him, he was clearly going out to Stratford for that. And I mm-hmm. saw him down the other end of the, the carriage. And I do often think about that, especially the opening ceremony to the Olympics, because mm-hmm. that, was, that was a big deal over here. I mean, the Olympics was a big deal in general, yeah. but his yeah. Danny Boyle's opening ceremony, I think for many people is what people look back on as the last time you could be proud to be British because it was a celebration of the country and specifically the NHS. Mm -hmm. And it was a real nice moment. And on a national scale, we haven't had that many of them since then, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but that, that does stand out as a moment and kind of like he still had it. Boyle, Boyle can still create a kind of emotional um, and intellectual response. Um, and I understand that from a nationalistic sense. And I, I, let me tell you something. Um, 2012 with the re-election of Barack Obama was probably the last time I felt good. Sure, no, I can completely understand that. <laughs> so and, I, and, may, and maybe in a few years, uh, train spotting will have even more relevance to me because if Scotland leave, I will claim Scottish uh, citizenship <laughs> because um, on, my, on my dad's side of the family, it, it's all Scottish. Oh, really? So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but Johnston is a, is a Scottish name. Yeah. Um, we've got a tartan and everything. Um, and so I would quite happily, um, if, if Scotland joined the EU, become Scottish. You know, I, I'm not necessarily looking to move to Scotland because it's quite far. I'm, I'm very southern, um, but it's a lovely country. Have you ever visited Scotland? I have not, but... Uh, beautiful I, land, beautiful place. I have been to northern England. I've, I've been to Redcar. Um, I have no idea where that is. Never heard of it. <laughs> it's on the north, it's the northeast. Uh, think Middlesbrough. Sure, I like. I've spent very little time in the north, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, and I've also been to Manchester, which I haven't. You see, <laughs> we've got a very small country, but we're very badly travelled at our own country. You know, when people go on holiday, pandemics aside, they generally go abroad. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I've never been to Manchester or Liverpool or Newcastle. No, no. I, I'm I'm southern. I'm as southern as it comes. Basically, I'm from an <laughs> island off the very bottom of the country. Um, hey, look. So, yeah, fine. an island within an island is kind of you, how we you, roll. But you have been throughout the United States. You went on a big trip yeah. through. I've been pretty <laughs> everywhere in the United States. <laughs> have you Have you been to where I live? Have you been to Colorado? I don't believe so, no. Um, yeah, I couldn't exactly tell you where Colorado is. Uh, um, you, you've been in Utah, okay? Yes, I've been to uh, Utah, yeah. Uh, because I heard the story about the movie theater in Utah on the, on the <laughs> podcast, okay? But Utah is, uh, Colorado is like right to the east mm-hmm. of Utah. Okay, I said, yeah. Yeah, we're, we've, we're, we've got the pot in the mountains. And uh, I think I think back then you didn't. Otherwise, we probably would have made a made a reboot. Just <laughs> <laughs> route yourself down. Uh, but you've, <laughs> you've been through all of America, and yet you have not been through all of through all of England, which is much smaller. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, that's the thing. Like I say, you know, in this film, uh, there was a sort of sense of call to Britain, even though we're seeing it through the lens of mm-hmm. uh, sort of um, heroin ravaged Scotland. Yes, but. Our country has always looked to America like they're the, the cool kid in class. <laughs> and so there's a, there's, even though it isn't always there and it isn't always true, there is a certain sense of glamour to America mm-hmm. from, from our perspective, which sometimes is warranted, sometimes is not. It's yeah. far yeah. from a perfect country, um, would be the first to admit, but there's something, it's, it's like basically going to, a, to, to be in a film. Like yeah. we, we just saw the mountain. We saw Mount Rushmore. We just saw the Hollywood sign. We just saw, I don't know, um, <laughs> the a dolphin. I don't know. It's, it's kind of it's. <laughs> it's um, yeah. There's, there's a certain sense of rock and roll, even when it's just kind of being in the queue for uh, Wendy's because we don't have them. <laughs> Tell you know, it's all like special like oh take my picture i'm queuing for a, a quiz nose <laughs> tell you something did you guys find this out this is something i know and uh i i i had you come on far longer than you probably anticipated here but 
when you're in America, did uh, you find that people were like, oh my God, you're from England? I love your <laughs> accent. Did you get that? Yeah, you definitely got I mean, it depended where you went because you know some places are slightly more metropolitan and Mm -hmm. but i'm sure somewhere um somebody asked my friend if she'd met princess diana (laughs) seriously um yes (laughs) which was was unexpected question Um, (laughs) she'd been dead about a decade at the time Oh, it's so bad. That reflects so poorly but on just, this country. But you also you you, <laughs> you 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 do see, but in lots of parts of America, people really haven't travelled as well. Like, um, oh yes, somebody said, "Oh, I can't remember where we were, but we were talking about like Chicago, and it's some sort of diner on on route." Mm-hmm. And this waitress said, "Oh, I've never been there." We're like, "We were just there this morning. It's like <laughs> six hours drive, if that." You know. Oh man. Look, I have been to a lot of parts in the United States and uh, each part of the United States, each state is completely different culturally. Mm. Uh, there's so many different culturals and cultures in this, the states. And, you know, my accent that you're hearing is all is what they teach newscasters or the presenters uh, that how to talk. They want them to talk <laughs> like me. Because they want it to be well, as, clear, yeah, flat as possible. We don't, we don't want over. We don't want the you know southern accent. We don't want any of that. We want American Western accent is exactly what they want, and it's it's fascinating to me because I don't think I have an accent. But then nobody does. Like you probably think I've got an accent, and I'd say, oh, I don't have an accent. You sound like you're from but, the south south of England to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there is a generic south of England accent. I'll be honest. I mean, there's there's an Isle of Wight accent that some people have, which goes proper farmer, uh, uh, but you don't get a lot of that even on the Isle of Wight. But it's, uh, oh, but, yeah. but yeah, does your friend your friend Paul sounds like he's from the southwest part of England? Oh yeah, Paul has an accent. Yeah, he's got a West Country accent. Yeah, I was gonna say um, that, that that sounds very southwest. I mean, because only reason I know that is because I watched Doc Martin, and that's <laughs> and that shows set okay. there over. Mm. I mean, I mean, there was a brief period where we lived in the cities from, and he has not got the most southwest accent you will find in that part of the country. There's, um, yeah, oh yeah, some real thick Bristol accents, and even okay. beyond. I went to Cornwall a couple of years ago, and it's even more so. It's um, it's colourful. A lot of oors and inits and stuff like that. Well, right? people people say where to. They say I remember being because I worked in a, a shop. A supermarket whatever and people would come up to me and they say oh where to the beans and you go what where to it and you know what that, that that's not a sentence that's not how people do. where to the beans and you go and somebody said where is well, why didn't they just say it we're not talking a different language we're not you know i'm from about under two hours away from here but um but it's a lovely city fantastic yeah. I appreciate you telling me that story. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I'm gonna. I'm going to. Uh, everyone, thank you uh, for joining me on the latest Gen X movie show, and I'll be talking to you later. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining me, man. Thank you for having me. It was a, a great pleasure.